This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Stiff-necked, fat, rebellious, bloated, and gorged. Not exactly the adjectives I would have used in a song that I would write to describe the people that I had led for the last 40 years. But then again, I wasn't leading the children of Israel. Regrettably, this is a pretty apt description of this people, and God uses Moses' swan song to remind them of their legacy and to warn them against their idolatry. It's a song worthy of our consideration on today's podcast from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Pay attention to the first four verses, which begin, ironically, pay attention. Heavens, and I will speak. Listen, earth, to the words from my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words settle like dew, like gentle rain on new grass and showers on tender plants. For I will proclaim the Lord's name. Declare the greatness of our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God without bias. He is righteous and true. Deuteronomy 32 records the song of Moses that the Lord instructed him to compose at the end of chapter 30. It was to stand as a witness to them in their disaster. Moses had spent the entire book warning the people to remain faithful to God. Amid his warning, God pulls him off to the side and reveals to him that the people of Israel would indeed do as he feared. They would forget the Lord in the land of abundance. The Lord was giving them. They would turn to idols amid their prosperity and leave the God who redeemed them and brought them into the land. Moses spends the next chapter, 32, recording a song to sing as a witness against them and their idolatry. He begins the chapter by telling them to pay attention and to let this teaching fall like rain upon them. He longs for them to heed his words, knowing that they wouldn't. What a mix of emotions must have filled his heart that day. This man who had given his life to these people is now pleading with them to listen to him. He longs for these words, this teaching, to fall like dew and gentle rain on new grass. You see, just as water is necessary for the survival of tender, fresh grass, Moses longs for this people, and he longs that, they would, that this teaching would bring life to their tender new generation. If they take it in and drink, it will indeed be life for them to heed its warnings. He tells them in verse 46, Take to heart all these words I am giving you as a warning today, so that you may command your children to follow all the words of this law carefully. For they're not meaningless words to you, but they are your life. And by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Indeed, these words were to be life to this people if they would just listen. But even as Moses speaks to them, he knows tragically that they will not. Consider his words in verse 4, as Moses declares the greatness of God. He calls God their rock. Now this is significant, because the Jewish language does not think in abstract concepts, but in concrete pictures. 
images that signify the character of an individual. Moses calls God their rock. He would be the rock that would be struck and water would flow for the people. The concept of a rock must have conjured all kinds of images in Moses' mind. It would be on the rock that God himself would be struck as the people slapped him in the face with their incessant criticism, complaining, and doubt. Nonetheless, God would take their abuse, and as he did, bring forth water that would flow for their very life amid the desert heat. All of this pointed to Jesus, who would be the rock struck for their salvation, the salvation of the nations. It was also a rock that Moses learned it was also at a rock that Moses learned the hardest lesson of his life. As in arrogance and frustration, he struck the rock a second time, only when it needed to be spoken to for the water of life. Moses' arrogant disobedience and display, it cost him the promised land for not demonstrating God's holiness among the people, instead seeking to manipulate him for the people's admiration. Such arrogance cost him the land of promise as God was determined to show that he alone was the undisputed leader. He would fulfill his covenant promise to them, to bring them into this land. And he would choose an unproven leader like Joshua, instead to accomplish his purposes, so that no one would doubt that he was the one who had given them this land. Even still, Moses commends God's ways as just. Though he tested God's patience in asking again to enter the land, his words here imply his understanding of God's judgment and his justice in executing his faith. His work for this people had indeed been perfect. Just consider all that he had done for them. He'd called them through Abraham. He'd made them a great nation by abundantly giving them increase through Jacob. He'd preserved the family line through Joseph's faithfulness. He'd redeemed them through miraculous acts. He'd met with them powerfully at Sinai. He'd promised to dwell with them through the tabernacle. He'd led them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. He'd fed them with manna from heaven daily. He'd brought water from the rock for their salvation. He'd gone before them in battle. He'd given them victory and setting fear into the hearts of their adversaries. His work in their life had indeed been perfect. He'd promised Abraham that he would make of them a nation, deliver them in 400 years, bring them out of captivity and into a land flowing with milk and honey, the very land of Canaan given to them according to his prophecy against Ham. God had accomplished all of it perfectly. He'd been faithful to them without bias, the same God with the same character across all these generations. He was indeed righteous and true. The people, on the other hand, they were another story. Devious and crooked were the adjectives Moses used. Well, he wasn't wrong. Look how sinfully they repaid the Lord for his goodness. Their idolatry, their forgetfulness, their criticism, their doubt, their complaining. This was indeed a foolish and senseless people. Some inheritance God had gotten. He set the boundaries of the people, but the people of Jacob were his inheritance, according to verse 9. God sure got the short end of that stick. He recounts for them how he had found them in a desolate wilderness and surrounded and cared for them, watching over them like an eagle hovers over his young, spreading his wings and catching them. After giving them the choices of the land, verse 15 says Israel became fat and rebelled. 
they became bloated and gorged in their abundance, and consequently abandoned the God who made them and hated the God, the rock who saved them. Their abundance led to their abandonment of the God who gave them so much. It led to their idolatry. So to provoke their jealousy and their fidelity to God, God would use the nations to punish them. But it wasn't just nations. It was disasters and hunger and plague and wild beasts and venomous snakes and swords and terror, all outlined through verses 23 through 25. Their sinful idolatry would yield for them the wine from the vines of Sodom, whose grapes are poisonous. They would be made to drink the wine of serpent's venom, the deadly poison of cobras. Such disaster belongs to God, and he has every right and reason to exact such punishment on such an unfaithful people. For God had given them life and everything that they needed, and he had the right to bring their death if they chose to not follow him. He could both wound and heal, and no one can rescue them from his power. Verse 39. Even after these nations rise up to destroy Israel, God would avenge those nations for their attacks. They would be responsible for their actions, even though God is using those very actions for his own purposes, to purify his land and his people. Such purity would culminate in the work of the Savior, who would come and fully redeem the spiritual Israel, whose hearts would not fall away, but would turn to him in repentance. All this judgment, all this retribution, all this natural national decline, all of it would wind its way through the storyline of the Old Testament to a king who would rule his people with justice and equity. For there would, be, there would come one from Bethlehem, a savior who would atone for their sins in a way that only he could. All the Old Testament storyline points to this king who would come and at once judge the sins of the people and again set free those who would trust him. Now, as we apply this song to our lives, this is the same God and we are the same obstinate, idolatrous people. In many ways, their story had become ours, had it not. Has not the abundance led to apathy and eventually led to the abandonment of our God? Are we not as guilty of becoming fat and gorged by God's goodness in our lives in such a way that we have forgotten his covenant faithfulness to us? Instead, we've become enamored with the culture of the land, which is precisely what these people did. The pressure of ambition, career, amusement, entertainment, they all cloud our loyalty to the God of our youth. And we must pay attention ourselves for this too is our life. Is this how we repay our God? With half-hearted loyalty, lip service to the God of our youth? If we want to avoid the pestilence and judgment of God, we need to be a people of covenant faithfulness ourselves. We are all like sheep going astray, as Isaiah prophesied. And we just as much need the Savior to redeem us and call us back to himself. We need his grace daily to preserve us from the temptation to wander off into idolatry with a thousand gods who compete for our devotion. He has indeed purified us, and we need him every day to remind us of such goodness. So Lord, come, be our rock. Keep us close. Remind us of your goodness to us, the abundant generosity that has flooded our lives. Preserve us from getting fat and bloated and apathetic. Keep us hungry for the bread that truly satisfies. Keep us from idols and help us to remain faithful 
to you. For it is in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For the show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Have a great weekend. Join us on Monday as together we help you learn to read your Bible.